Welcome to Book Bosomed, where we give new looks to old books. I'm Grace. I'm Hannah. And I'm Michelle. So, season two, episode one. Yay! <laughs> um, and because this episode is coming out very, very close to Halloween, we are going to look at The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson today. Um, that, is it Louis? How would you say that? It's L-O-U-I-S. You said it, Louis, and I was right? like, I think I say Lewis. Yeah, we've always, but it might be that's an American way to say it, and it might not be right. Have you noticed that in every single episode, I say something, and I go, is that the right way to say that thing? Um, I actually read this thing the other day where um, it's funny when people that read quite a lot, and I think we are people that read often, you learn so many words when you read, but you never actually say those words. So every time you try to pronounce that word for the first time, you always say it wrong. And it's so embarrassing. Like I need to just, <laughs> every word that I don't know, I need to listen to it in Google so that I know how I'm meant to say it. <laughs> yeah. But who, but to be, to be fair, who else knows how to say it anyway? Well, Probably. I think maybe something like Louis or Lewis is quite... <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know either. We don't know either. Well, I'm just thinking about King Louis. Or Prince Louis, oh, right. sorry. The wee little... It is Louis. It is Louis, and it's spelt the same way. And Robert Louis Stevenson is... Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> it is cute. I'm obsessed with those that's children. So I'm actually obsessed with them. <laughs> I didn't realise that was his name. Yeah, George, Charlotte, and Louis. How cute is that? That's so cute. Yeah. So cute. Anyway, we're not yeah. very being very Halloween-y here, so let's try. <laughs> let's try to be a little bit more scary. Um, okay, so... This is a very famous book that most people have heard of, if not read. <laughs> I assume that everyone has read this before. Michelle, you have a, you have a lot, eh? I have, yeah, yeah. I used to. I was. I taught it before, so I've read it many times. But it's um, it's short book, but really compelling. It's a great short story read. It's not really a short story, but it's anyway. It's a great read. Well, would it be a short story? It's only 60, 60 pages or something, isn't it? I think it's like technically a novella. Okay. And Hannah, you've read this before, hey? Yes, I have. Though I will say my edition has Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in other tales, which I haven't read, but now I want to. So Yeah, mine as well. Too. I've got quite a few short stories in here and I, I haven't read anything from R.L. Stevenson before. Um, <laughs> Smooth. And now I'm quite interested to read more after reading a bit about his sort of life and um, his sort of writing career. It's quite um, it's quite abnormal in comparison to how other writers, I think, sort of start out. Really? But he's from Edinburgh, yeah. right? He's from Edinburgh. He went to Edinburgh yeah. University, but he studied law, but he never became a lawyer. Um, and he actually started writing as a essayist or as a critic. So he didn't actually start doing fiction until much later in his literary career. I mean, he was born in 1850 and these stories only came out around the 1880s. And then he died in like 1894, I think it was. So it was late into his career that he started doing fiction. Huh. Do you guys remember the, the Black Medicine, you know, that place? The, the in coffee Edinburgh, shop. Uh -huh. The coffee shop. But right across the road was a pub 
that we never went into. I don't think you guys, I didn't go in there Mm -hmm. with you. I don't know if you guys went in, but it was called, I can't remember the name of it, but he, it was named after him. Like it was his, like he would go there. It had like a ship in the corner. And there was a ship in the window. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I never noticed. Yeah, and I never went in there, and I was always sort of like, oh, man, because then by the, because I wanted to go in because he, he was associated with his name. They had something in the window that said something about him, like if he maybe wrote there or whatever, I don't know, but... Um, but then COVID happened and I didn't get to go in anyway. But Yeah, I mean, he was he was born in Edinburgh and he was raised in Edinburgh and, as I said, went to Edinburgh University. But then he lived, like, all over the world. I don't think I've known another writer from this time period to be so well-traveled. He was living really in America and then he'd come back and then he'd go to Switzerland and Sweden and France and around Europe and then he'd go back to the UK and then he went to Bournemouth. Bournemouth? Wow, that came out really weird. He went to Bournemouth where he wrote this story um, and then he had an American wife. Actually, so he was over there loads. And then he traveled, what was the word that they used? Because he, he died in Samoa um, but they say that he traveled around the South Seas, which is like Tahiti, um, Samoa, that area. And that was where he spent the last sort of five years of his life in Samoa. So bizarre. Like what a random place to die <laughs> coming from Edinburgh. It's so weird. It's warm. <laughs> you know what? I remember that because it was in the Writers Museum. Was I it? I remember reading about that. Oh, yes, really? that he died there in the in Edinburgh, the little Writers Museum. Oh, I love oh, that museum. Actually, one of my favorite museums. I wish I could go back there. But yeah, so he traveled He traveled around mostly because he was ill. He had um, tuberculosis his whole life. So they kept trying to move him around somewhere where the air was cleaner. Um, and then, yeah, he died in Samoa, but not from TB, from something else. Like a... So where was his money from? He, he hardly had any money. Like, he was so poor. His writing didn't even bring in a lot of money. When he married this American woman, he was completely penniless. Um, so I think it must, it really must have been only in his last five years of his life that the money started coming in. Interesting. Really interesting. Um, but should we do a plot summary and then we can get into the juicy bits? Yeah. Okay. So the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde starts with, uh, the lawyer, Mr. Utterson talking to his friend, Mr. Enfield, and they're being told a tale of, um, Mr. Hyde who ran over a girl with a trolley. And around the same time, Dr. Jekyll gives Utterson his will and testament, which um, gives all of his belongings to a Mr. Hyde. But Utterson takes this, and then Dr. Lanyon and Jekyll have a dispute over scientific research pretty early on. Um, A year passes, and nothing really happens. And then a servant girl witnesses Hyde brutally beat Sir Danvers to death with his cane. Um... And then Utterson visits Jekyll again, who said that he ended all relations um, with Mr. Hyde and then shows him a note. But Utterson realizes that the handwriting between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde look very similar in this note. Um, Jekyll starts to review refuse visitors. And then Lanyon dies from some sort of shock he receives. So the novel doesn't tell you right away why he dies. But before he died, Lanyon gave Utterson this letter with instructions to open it after... Um, Jekyll's death because Jekyll is like refusing visitors his butler Mr. Poole gets really nervous and asks Utterson um, to kind of visit and check out what's going on with Dr. Jekyll so they break into his laboratory and find the body of Hyde wearing Jekyll's clothes and he looks dead by suicide and then a letter from Jekyll to Utterson promising to explain everything in detail 
Utterson takes the letter home and then reads Lanyon's letter. And Lanyon's letter reveals that he, um, Lanyon died because of seeing Dr. Jekyll turn into Mr. Hyde, or the other way around, seeing Mr. Hyde turn into Dr. Jekyll. Um, and then the second letter reveals that Jekyll found a way to transform himself using this potion he created. Um, so him and Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are the same person that's being transformed by this potion, but the potion had begun to run out, so he was losing control over when he could transform. Um, and then Jekyll notes that in any case, the end of his letter is the end of uh, end of his life. So whether or not Hyde turns himself in or kills himself, Dr. Jekyll is no more. And that's yeah. kind of how it ends. It ends kind of abruptly. Like I was, <laughs> I, there wasn't like the resolution to the story is the letter explaining that Hyde is Jekyll and Jekyll is Hyde. And then, and then there's no, like nothing else yeah. happens. Like I was kind of wanting a bit, a bit more of a conclusion from Utterson's perspective, which is the perspective we have throughout the rest of the book. But he gets the money. Right? <laughs> he gets the he inherits all of the money. Yeah, there is a revised oh, he will. Does yeah, for Utterson about that. gets the money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one main thing that I really enjoyed when I was reading this and then researching about it is that this book falls into the genre of um obviously the gothic in like the victorian gothic but also this whole concept of the double which is a, mm-hmm. which was obviously quite common during the victorian gothic right. as well scholars or whoever compare this to books like frankenstein obviously um but also the picture of dorian gray and the island of dr moreau which are two books that also that i love oh, and wow, would yeah. love to read again and would love to do an episode on at some point um and it does make sense like this book is is exploring that sort of dichotomy of of good and evil and to what extent people ha- have the capabilities mm-hmm. to be their good and their bad selves so mr hyde is this manifestation of the worst parts of dr jekyll and like you can see that the same thing goes in frankenstein which obviously we talk about all the time the island of dr moreau that the doctor is creating these sort of hybrid creatures that are both human and good but animal and bad um and the picture of dorian gray sort of speaks for itself um, and you can see that it just fits nicely into that sort of flow of how those texts develop because I think this one is the closest to the picture of Dorian Gray. And in what in what I read, I'm going to just say this is so corny. Like the very first yeah. sentence, this is from the British Library, and it says, um, Robert Louis, now that I know, Rice Stevenson's The Strange <laughs> Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a late Victorian variation on ideas first raised in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Like that is the oh, well, opening line yes. of this, this whole commentary from the British Library, and then there's other like you were saying, but not other novels that you were just um, mentioning. And as I was reading, because there's like um, all these different perspectives from this particular read from the British Library, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love every single one of those stories. I should have a degree in this. Yeah. And then I went, oh my god, we I do. do. <laughs> <laughs> we all have a degree yeah. in this time period. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. I was like, what is it about that like doubling that is so interesting to me? Because I love all of those novels. All of them. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. Like, why is this? There's obviously the train of thought here that we're all really enjoying and they're all, yeah. the, they're all based on the same ideas. Um, and they're all a little bit scary, which I also enjoy. They are a bit scary. Yeah. And they're all sort of like, um, sort of exploring the human psyche of like, oh my God, that's horrible. I can't look, I, I want to look away, but I can't. Yes. I want to look away, but I can't. Yeah. So this is an odd question. but And, and, and as I was reading the book, I just recently saw an episode of um, 
the Netflix thing, uh, show called You. I'm oh yes, that love, too. absolutely love. And as <laughs> yep. soon as I, as soon as I saw that, because um, it was, I just saw it like two days ago. So I saw it, and then um, as I was reading sort of commentary on this, I'm like, we're still fascinated by that. Like, yes. how can human, like humans, so have right. sort of this side? And then you watch that particular show, and then I was like, that this, is so spot know, on. So spot That's on. That's that show. Oh my word, you're so right. <laughs> well, because one of the big questions I wanted to ask you guys is like, this book obviously has had more longevity and popularity than loads of the other books that we discussed just because now it's an idiom. Jekyll and Hyde, everyone, or you, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. do know that that term is if someone's behaving differently in public and private or the difference between good and evil. Now it's just like a, a term right. that we use. It's like a throwaway term that we use from this book and I was trying to figure out why is this book which is so short and so similar in a lot of ways to a lot of these other sorts of books in this genre that we we've just discussed why is this one the one that is has um lasted and has has got this this term associated with it now but you're right we're still obsessed with this this genre we're still looking at it all the time why are serial killer documentaries the biggest genre on netflix because we love looking at someone like ted bundy who is super super charismatic but also an absolute nutter right like why are we obsessed Mm -hmm. with this it's so weird because i think we all have sort of not elements of uh not Ted Bundy, but of like sort of, (laughs) sorry, but I mean, we all have these things like, I don't know. I just think it's fascinating to think about the opposing side of what we're always supposed to be, which is the commentary I have in this is like the Victorian, like, uh, we were even talking about London and this being sort of like this place where there's people with money and this high class system, but then underneath they're behaving so amorally like you know there are when there's places in london where it's you know this high class i i can't think of an example i don't know so like you know something and then there's the absolute opposite and that's what we're fascinated by not necessarily you know and the same people are doing the same thing underground that's why it's called underground right like it's like they're doing it under I also thought, like what you were just saying about the names, I think maybe perhaps that's part of it because, like, a not Jekyll, but if you say Jackal, like uh, that's like maybe a, a you know a cat, isn't that like a cat, right? That's like uh, really fast and sort of tricky and it's can, some kind of animal, yeah, yeah. And you can do that, but then he uses the name Hyde for like hiding sort of that part of the personality, and it's because oh he God, used. How did I not realize that? <laughs> but, <Duh. laughs> well, I think it's because he used those two were those two names and of course Dr. Utterson the lawyer is the person who's speaking a lot you know he just uses the names that that make it stand out in your head to be it makes it uh, Jekyll and Hyde is of course the term that you would use for that yeah and I read um this was published as a shilling shocker so it was like very cheap and very short for people to get in Victorian times so I feel like that might have something to do with it too like if it was cheap and short, more of the masses could have read it. So it could have just stuck in more people's brain. Whereas, you know, Frankenstein or, you know, Dorian Gray are larger books. They would have been more expensive. Less people would have had access to them. That's a very good point. Yeah, I'm sure that that probably is part of the reason why. I just think it's so fascinating that of all the other stories that are similar to this one, that this is the one that stood out. And I also, the first time I read it, I remembered, I, I went away from the book thinking that Mr. Hyde was a lot worse than he is. 
I know his descriptions make him seem really sort of uncanny. He's like a very uncanny figure. No one can place him where he fits in in this mortal or immortal society or whatever. Um, I thought that he murdered like a lot more people. <laughs> and then when I read it again and it was just one guy, I was like, oh, so what? Like, it was just one old man. Like, that's not that bad. <laughs> But it is interesting, like in the very beginning, that he runs over the girl, right? Without even, you know, without even thinking about it. Just, I think that's maybe what makes it a little bit appalling is because it's a child that he, you know, in the beginning, they start with that. Yeah, I read some commentary that it's it's like he, Hyde is, is obviously a very scary figure, but also he's not that scary because he's attacking the most vulnerable. So mm. someone... You know, yes, Sir Danvers is a politician, he's an MP, but he attacks an old man and a young vulnerable child. So it's sort of showing that Hyde is is scary in his uncanniness, but not because his actions are really, really sinister, like Frankenstein's monster, whose murderousness is really scary because he's murdering people that we didn't think he would be able to murder. Right. You know? True. But it's also very primal. And making him more animalistic and in the animal kingdom, that's what somebody who is like, a, if you're a predator, you know, mm. if you're like, a, I don't know, a cheetah or a jackal or whatever, you're going to go after the weak um, prey. The one that you're going to like, that's a, the easy one to sort of, you know, get out of the pack, if you will. So it's, I didn't, I didn't think about it from that way, but it's interesting that you said that because that's exactly yeah. what would happen in the animal kingdom. Yeah. And that reminds me of the island of Dr. Moreau, which we have to, because that, you know, this, Jekyll and Hyde is a Very scary similar. book, but that book scared the living daylights out of me. That was actually Agreed. terrifying. Um, so as a recommendation, if people enjoy this book, they should definitely read that one. Yeah. Also quite short. Agreed. So easy read. All of these books are short. Oh, another, um, speaking of other, other scary books, funnily enough, Robert Louis Stevenson was actually good friends with Henry James, who wrote The Turn of the, Turn of the Screw, really? which is was. what we looked at last Halloween. Oh. Yeah. So they became friends after, well, before, um, before Stevenson wrote Jekyll and Hyde, but he wrote Jekyll and Hyde after The Turn of the Screw had already come out. So... I think also that book is quite similar with the ghosts and and that's really you know, interesting at... too because obviously Turn of the Screw is focused on a female character and in this book there is like none except for the girl there are like in the two female the characters and they hardly do and anything. the housekeeper who doesn't have a name yeah and then the one that witnesses oh, the murder ah, yeah they're very so they're there's inconsequential like and they don't really even talk huh yeah interesting they don't really have a voice this um my. Um, sorry, criticism also says, which I think is we—I don't know if we've even discussed it—that this is during the time, you know, we we didn't say really talk about historical context yet, but during, um, you know, Darwin's theories of you know evolution, and we like where do we, you know, that the whole evolution. Uh, sort of theory, but I think it's interesting. Then I don't know. My I, I didn't read. I didn't um, what I read didn't tell me if because um, Darwin also went to the University of Edinburgh. So I don't know if it was at the same time. Did he? Yes. Yeah. So, I didn't know that. Uh-huh, yeah. Yes. Are you joking? I spent no, a whole so... year studying there, and I didn't know that Darwin went there. <laughs> so I just didn't know if there was like because I was reading that there's a connection to the theories, but I'm wondering if they actually knew each other when they were in edinburgh to you know i haven't yeah i have no idea I've, i don't have an answer I didn't, for you yeah I th- so anyway that was like all threaded throughout so all the ones oh it says um 
Charles Darwin had published The Descent of Man in 1871. And when was this published? 1886. Okay. Yeah, so quite a while after. Yeah, okay. So it's possible that they did know each other, or at least when um, Darwin was writing. Anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. That's another thing that I think is interesting about this genre that we obviously are really enjoying, is that they all relate back to Darwin and Huxley. They all go back to that evolution and science and all of these books are an exploration of the capabilities of of humans and the capabilities of whatever it's called yeah. our scientific discoveries all of these books are maybe not so much the picture of dorian gray but the others are all exploring to what extent we can manipulate the natural order of the world mm-hmm. and what the morality is in doing that yeah, and what yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, and I mean, this book, it just happens to be a potion. <laughs> right. Well, and it's in the aftermath of Romanticism. And th- it says, um, this commentary says that in when the Romantics, when they're writing, they don't really, they're not really exploring the science. They're just looking, uh, I mean, they're, Mary Shelley is, I mean, they're sort of looking and talking about these ideas, but they're just like happy to look at nature and look at it like as a sublime sort of you know, for its quality sublime qualities not necessarily wanting to investigate they're still doing like mm. in the religion versus science and then where after we progressed into the late 1800s um instead of the early 1800s and romanticism that the victorian are the victorians are like looking at actually scientific theories and trying to sort of investigate the world and try to explain the world rather than just looking at it for its beauty or whatever which i thought was really interesting is that's maybe why there's so many books but they kind of in this book or this criticism says it stems from of course frankenstein yeah but that's that's actually a good point is that um this book has got no well, I didn't pick up, and I or never do really, but on any religious connotation, whereas I think Frankenstein is so overtly the battle between religion and science. But I, I will say, could be wrong. <laughs> sorry, this one did have, yeah, the very, very beginning mentions Cain and Abel, and it's flipped. Does it? Yes, the very, like the first page. Let's see if I can find it. Um, Who are Cain and Abel? <laughs> Do you not know that really? No. Do you not know that really? Wow. No. <laughs> not that that's bad. I just, you I, that's so interesting to the me. The Sons of Adam and Eve. Okay. Cool. Um, okay, yeah. So it says, but he had an approved tolerance for others, sometimes wondering almost with envy at the very high pressure of spirits involved with the misdeeds and in any extremity inclined to help rather than to reprove. I incline to Cain's heresy, he used to say quaintly. I let my brother go to the devil in his own way. Oh my gosh. I can't, I didn't even think about but that. But it's flipped, right? Because it's able, right? Isn't it flipped? Can you, can you give me some context? Well, I don't know the story. Cain. Okay, so Adam and Eve in the creation story, right? So Adam yeah. and Eve in Genesis in the Bible have three named children. So there's Cain, there's okay. Abel, and Seth. Those are the third, the first, they have three, and then they have more children than that, but those are the three that are named. Those the only ones that matter. Um, Abel, <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, whatever, right? And the, anyway, so Cain and Abel, they don't really talk about Seth until later, but Cain and Abel... Um, our brothers, but they have sort of like this antagonistic relationship, or at least Cain is always jealous of Abel because Abel is Abel. He yeah, is like, yeah. he, he um, brings more, he's able to, what am I saying? He's a good farmer. He's, he's able to produce him. more and give. So Cain is jealous 
of Abel's sort of givings of things to his, anyway, his, I think that's what it is. Anyway, and then so Cain is angry and kills Abel. Oh, hectic. So it's like the first, wow. yeah, yeah, it's like the first murder in the Bible. It's oh, like wow, in, love you know, within three chapters <laughs> of Genesis, right? Like, and he just kills him. And then he's like, Anyway, and then he's dead, and Abel's kind of the good guy, and Cain is the bad guy. So when people say raising Cain, or that's why you don't really hear people named Cain, because he's the first man who committed murder in the Bible. And so it's It was like kind a... of funny. And what was that What was that other book we read Sorry? where the person was named Cain? Oh, um... And it was funny. Oh, Far From the Madding Crowd. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. And that's why it was, like, funny. Did they call him Cainy? <laughs> yes. They call him Caney because they didn't want because he was a nice guy and they didn't want him to have the negative connotation to his name. Oh, yeah, I really did not the, understand. That. Oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you know. No, it serves me right for being so ignorant. He's the evil sorry. twin. Okay, so but so what what Stevenson is doing is flipping the story. So he's saying that actually Abel killed Cain. Is that what he's saying? Or yeah. So the footnote actually in my version says. Um, Utterson might be misremembering his Bible since it is Cain who goes to the devil, not Abel. However, there was an early Christian um, dissident sect, the Cainites, that regarded Cain as possessed of a dignity, power, and enlightenment superior to Abel. This is an early sign that conventional biblical meanings may be inverted in this tale. Okay, so along those same lines and what we're talking yeah. about. So you know how like when you're walking on, um, I, I just couldn't, after this time when I'm reading the story, I could not separate it from Edinburgh. I know it's supposed to take place in London and I like have maps of where it's the, maybe the house that's supposed to be and everything in London. It's really cool from the British Library. But um, at the same time, now that we've been to Edinburgh, couldn't you see like some guy with the hunchback or whatever, like around any of the closes in Edinburgh. There's so many places where like you could be walking on the Royal Mile and see the church and see is it St. Giles and everything very um, sort of moral and um, all the beauty and the Protestant. We know that that, you know, the whole, um, you know, the Protestant faith sort of moving through in the upper parts of Edinburgh, if you will, the above ground, but you can see in the small yes. spaces, you could see somebody like caning somebody or it could happen anywhere in Edinburgh. Like you always have to kind of look around the corner to see where you are. It's not like there's anything scary going on, but you can see where it could easily happen. And where it did happen also, just like, I think it was a pretty brutal city back in the day. Um, But yeah, I actually think that this book, maybe he set it in London because there were more people in London and everyone knew London more than they knew Edinburgh. But I actually think it would have been really cool if it was set in Edinburgh. The story makes more sense to me, even with the mm-hmm. the whole metaphor about the door. Well, not the metaphor, the the, the constant imagery of that that door at the back of Doctor Jekyll's sort of surgery that they that Mister Hyde uses the door, and it's all very secretive. And where does the door go? And I was just picturing like a little blue door that's in one of the squares in Edinburgh, right near where I used to live, just off the Royal Mile. Like, yeah, I think it would it it would be so cool if it was actually set there so much more creepy than london london's a bit well it says uh, my this uh, commentary says that the house of renowned surgeon john hunter thought to have inspired stevenson's depiction of dr jekyll's residence and it actually gives a whole map and sort of um, different things it's actually totally cool um so maybe it was that but he was also of course drawing 
from you know the closes and everything in Edinburgh because it makes so much sense that it would have been from that also the trap door sort of thing we still do that where's the trap door <laughs> like during Halloween I'm like oh my gosh there's a door we can hear noises behind it you know are we gonna go in like it's the whole thing right? <laughs> like I don't know where's the does yeah. it have a key is there a knob can we get in what's behind that right <laughs> The secrecy. And it's the same and the yeah. same laboratory. It's in it goes into the laboratory, right? The secret door, just like in Frankenstein. That whole thing was like the whole the laboratory. Yeah. Right? I'm just like making connections to you now because again, in this new season, no spoilers, but they have a house which is like their fancy front door, the Mr oh. the Doctor Jekyll door, and then they have their like little workshop, which is their Doctor Hyde their Mr. Hyde door. The murder room. Cute. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then my daughter told me that they always have a cage. Like I was watching with her just box. like two days ago. And she's like, they always have to have some sort of a cage, the glass box. Um, another funny thing while we're on the topic of murderers and you and these other funny things is that <laughs> a lot of people apparently in sort of later years always thought that this book was inspired by the Jack the Ripper murders that also took place in London, also in the 1880s, 1890s. Um, but actually this book came out before Jack the Ripper. It was the year before. And then everyone sort of was, um, at the time, was like talking about Jack the Ripper in the same context of Hyde, Mr. Hyde. And that was how people were sort of in London, like rationalizing or trying to understand Jack the Ripper was because of this book. Yeah. How weird. Also might be why this has stuck around so much more. Because that's like a big cultural event. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Also, it says, and you hear this little caption, it says, actor Richard Mansfeld in the stage adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde performed a year after the publication of the novel. Mansfeld's transformation from gentleman to fiend was so powerful, he was accused of being Jack the Ripper. Oh no! Wow. So it even there was even like a person attached in the aftermath of Jack the Ripper story, and um, he was the performer of Jekyll and Hyde, wow. and then people accused him of that being. That is insane. You have to imagine though that, that Jack crazy? the Ripper was a bit of a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde situation, right? Bundy to Bundy. get away with it. Well, the theory actually, which I was, I kind of went on like a rabbit hole of Jack the Ripper after I read <laughs> this thing, and um quite recently the theory is that Jack the Ripper was actually a doctor that they actually think that with the precision that he was able to take out whatever organs or do whatever he did to those poor women that he was a, a surgeon or a doctor so it literally is is Jekyll and Hyde if Hyde just went a little bit more crazy it's kind How of crazy. bad that like the the reality God. of the crazy doctor murderer in London is more scary than the fiction like you should you should think it should be the other way around yeah, it is yeah. scary. well just like it's the same thing of um I was thinking of the Sweeney Todd I don't know if you've ever yeah. Yes. That yes. Where they're like, but then the same thing is somebody Brody in Edinburgh on that corner. Deacon, Deacon Brody. Deacon Brody oh yes. Right. He really did yes. that. He really did that. All of that stuff. You guys have just. <laughs> so Deacon Brody was the inspiration for Jekyll and Hyde. I'm so <gasps> he was? How did I completely forget about this? He was. I literally went oh on. Oh my gosh. Um, a pub crawl and the the person that was leading the pub crawl was doing like a history this was on this was during my first week in edinburgh was doing a history thing about the places that we went on the pub crawl so we went to um the the bar that was in the sort of dungeon down in whatever that horrible horrible dingy pub was that all the first years love and whatever anyway oh, but we three also sisters went, or whatever <laughs> no it was that one that was in a ton it was like in the tunnel 
it was a club oh, and it was right. honestly just speaking of me being in like not enjoying club life I think that put me off forever it was like the dirtiest smelliest Ugh. anyway it doesn't matter it's just, we're going off a tangent here <laughs> Deacon Brody Tavern <laughs> is a beautiful pub it's lovely and it is one of the oldest pubs in Edinburgh after World's End which we went to as well um and when you go to Edinburgh and you go up to Deacon Brodie's Tavern, they have this like statue in the corner at the back of a, in a window and they've got this man in 18th century dress. And the yes. whole story is that this man was a um, sort of a public official or a prominent member of Edinburgh society and also a murderer. And it's true. And it happened in the 1700s. And and that oh and I was gosh. told on this tour, I can't believe I forgot about this, that that was the inspiration for Jekyll and Hyde was because this guy had actually murdered people. And Deacon Brody's tavern was where he used to live. That was his house. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Didn't he, did he like use the, did he use, sorry, that's so ugly, but did he cook the people? <laughs> like, was it that or like, <laughs> I mean, too much that's Jeffrey Dahmer. Sweetie Todd, right? Yeah. So. I don't, I, I don't think so. I actually... I wish that I'd gone back and, and re- remembered this before we started talking because I would have done more research about it. But I'd, I, as far as I'm aware, he was just murdering people for money and <laughs> he, had this. He sort wasn't of, serving um, them for food I, later. No, like I want to say like a money laundering type thing oh, going right. on. Like he was like killing people to get their money and then giving it to other people. And but I, I don't fact check me on that. Like I need to go look it up. But I mean, go Google Deacon Brody. It's absolutely fascinating. Oh my gosh! Wow, all of this is so connected. Without we didn't even we already knew without even knowing some of the stuff. That's so freaky. Just because it's so similar. Glad you brought that up. Right? Just because it's so similar and stuff that we saw. That's crazy. Crazy. I just feel like sometimes when I'd be walking around at night in Edinburgh, I would see like I. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some because I saw a couple fights in the you know like in the off streets not mm. on not on the Royal Mile of course but like on the off streets on Nicholson I think um and I I could see somebody with a cane just like going yeah. at it you know on somebody it, would, it wouldn't even seem out of character yeah for but that, then I for, think for the city I think well because the city has just got such a morbid horrible history I mean it's just such a violent history of murderers and plagues and war and witch burning and whatever but then I also was thinking about London where the sort of areas that I imagined this book would have been set in London are those places in London that are actually quite similar in terms of their architecture to Edinburgh and those squares. And even at the beginning of this book, they walk past, um, I guess you would call it a slum, that area, and that is where the back door is into Dr. Jekyll's house. And it's the same, I think it's the same slum that Charles Dickens talks about in Hard Times. Really? It reminded me of Dickens a lot. Actually, or even the child of the of oh, the Jaeger. Sure. What was who wrote that book? The child of the Jaeger. Oh, I, that was such a great book. And that I book was that about book. that particular slum in London. And I think that oh, that right? area is really old architecture. It was quite impoverished. It could also be quite creepy at night and horrible things happening in the shadows. So I think if you're thinking about that sort of a London, then maybe it is also quite scary. It yeah. is, right? So isn't it sort of like, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up another television show, but I think when I watch Tales of the Midwife, Tales from the Midwife or whatever, is that the part of London? I don't know what that I show is. I haven't seen it. I don't oh, know. okay. Sorry. It's because, it, remember, what was the the book that you just said that we read? I just loved it. The, the boy. The Child of the like Jaeger. Yeah. It was that neighborhood, I think, is sort of like that part of London is where Tales from the Midwife or whatever that is called, whatever that show is, that's where they're at. Like really showing sort of which is another it's another current um 
sort of series that you could watch that does show sort of like here's this very moral life that people are living and there are these you know midwives that are actually serving people and helping them but that everything that they're doing is like under like the people who are operating sort of in the the hide sort of neighborhood if you will so that's I mean that's really interesting that that's where the door is it's like on that side but it's still connected to the other door which then is like yeah really fancy and rich society sort of yeah yeah Yeah. how do we feel about like how he's how uh mr hyde is like physically described because there's a lot of like animal imagery which i don't love lots of animal imagery um i've i've a few thoughts on this the animal imagery i think is more appropriate because the, the thing that i had an issue with which always comes up in any book we read from back in the day is the negative connotation around the terms of like disability that they're referring to him yes. they're saying that he looks like he has a disability or they use the word deformity which obviously is not politically correct in our day and age it's highly offensive but it always happens there's always something like that in any of these books we read but the uncanniness of him in the the animalness of him I thought was really interesting because it just shows that he isn't quite fitting in to human society but also not animal societies it's like weird in between but what I didn't like was that he was short and they kept saying that it was really he's like oh he's gross because he's short and I was like excuse me first of all there's nothing (laughs) wrong with being five foot tall don't even come at me with this (laughs) well I was reading an article that was suggesting that he was short because he was meant to be like childlike because he's only oh, like half, I just read that in here too. half of Dr. Really? Jekyll like he's not as mature as Dr. Jekyll he doesn't have both the good and the evil within him he's just the evil part so he's m- more immature and more childlike oh so that's oh. why he was short all right my commentary says that he's more childlike because he's more primitive like he's has like yeah. sort of um uh what is that like you know when you just shoot from the hip you'd like it uh, gosh, I can't think of the word right now. Instinctual or like when you just, you know, you just react to things, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really think about it and you're, do you know what word I'm talking about? I guess it's a very easy word. I just can't um, think of impulsive. it. <laughs> impulsive. <laughs> impulsive. Sorry. Like he's, a, he's like a child because he's a, has impulsive sort of um, primal behavior. And that's why they made, made him smaller. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was something I read. But I also read this, I think, in in the line of what you're saying about um, that he was also connected to strange. I'm so sorry. I just read a whole section about the fact that they were sort of exploring homosexuality during this book. Like it was um, like Hyde was maybe having to because he is described as somebody who has a who's having strange sexual appetites he's sort of like that Um, and it was at the time of course where you uh, would have been jailed right just like in um, a picture of a portrait of Dorian Gray like the writing of that for Oscar Wilde like where he was sort of maybe that is something that he was also hiding like he had strange because that, there's no, there's not a lot of females. He doesn't have a female partner, um, you know. And then it yeah. also says when Mr. Utterson first sees Hyde, it says he's coming home from a place at the end of the world. That was really funny because, of course, that was the name of the pub, right? Um, at about three o'clock on a black winter morning. Like, what's he doing out 
at 3 a.m. walking and seeing Hyde, who's out at 3 a.m.? Like, why are they meeting like, up? What goes on at 3 a.m. Mm, yeah. in the middle of the darkness? Like, they're both maybe not... Um, it just says that they are coming from sort of like some sort of suspicious places. Like, nobody knows where they're There's actually been, what are they doing there. there. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing with Oscar Wilde happened quite soon after this as well. Um, it wasn't long after this yeah. came out that that whole thing happened. And I, yeah... I don't know. Right. Well, and this is just commentary from the, it's like one little section from the British Library when it says that homosexuality and blackmail were frequently linked together in this period, which is blackmail. That's what it says. You know, like you, like if that's that was, so weird. <laughs> it was like, and it says section 11 of criminal law amendment act, 1885. <laughs> and it's the year that he's writing the tale, um, made gross indecency a nebulous term that was not precisely defined, but it was a criminal defined as a criminal activity. So, and then that's when they go into sort of like, you know, nobody knows what these people were doing. And anyway, um, meaning in the book, they don't know what Mr. Utterson is doing. They don't know what Mr. Hyde is doing out at 3 a.m. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with being gay at all. It just could be like, you know, whatever. That's just the commentary from this. Yeah. Um, but you obviously, like, you know that back in, in that day, they were like, yes, this is bad. And so if they're out and they're also homosexual, it's just more badness in Hyde, you know? Like, yeah. Um, although, yeah, I would I would hope not. I, I still try to have faith that these people aren't terrible authors and that they actually were, like, decent <laughs> human beings. But who knows? You never know. Although Stevenson did marry um, a woman who was separated from her husband but was not yet divorced, which was super scandalous already. Um, so maybe he was less of an asshole than a lot of the other authors that we talk about <laughs> well they're interesting authors have interesting material because they ha- they are exploring topics that we don't necessarily discuss right they're like exploring all that in the 1800s yeah and it's it's funny for such a short story that there's so many different angles that you can read it in like that we've still been able to talk for an hour about a 60 page book yeah you know that's really there's there's a testament to that that it's a, it's a very well written piece of work and again with letters oh right in the front and the back all the letter exchanges you're right we're back with the epistolary connections we've got all these letters rolling around telling everybody's truths their inner secrets and their... yeah and actually you know I don't know if we want to conclude here because there's still so much we could discuss but that ties in really nicely with next month because next month we're going to be reading Shamala by Henry Fielding, which is basically a comical version of Pamela. <gasps> yes. By Samuel Richardson, right? This Samuel is okay. Yes. Um, yep, 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 which yep, is an epistolary <laughs> novel and which is all about the revealing the inner truths of a woman and her turmoil with the man in her life. Yeah. And does she love him? Does she not? Is she cuckoo? How does she stay virtuous oh. when she wants him so bad? I really hope that this book is going to be a complete piss take because Pamela, I I really didn't enjoy. So I really hope that this is going to be like ripping the living daylights out of that book. <laughs> It'll be fun to read regardless. I'm excited yeah. to chat about it. Yeah. So if we're doing that next month, I just, I have one more question maybe to end on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because when I was hearing you talk in the beginning, I was, and, and especially because of the letters that Hannah just mentioned, what do you guys think about like the message of loyalty in this book? Like there is a massive yeah, sort of statement about how people are loyal to each other to the death. 
of like secrets and like that's it's pretty amazing like what do you guys think about yeah. that like who goes in and gets the gets the potion thing who does that the dr lanyard just because the letter says to they're like just go and do this and then i'll explain oh, it later oh, and he's yeah. like okay i'll go do it you mean his um his pool yeah his butler Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, pool is a little bit different because we have a class association, right? Like he has to, to some extent, be loyal because True. it's his job. And Lanyon's just an old friend and goes out of his way to get this potion with no explanation and thinking that something yeah. suspicious has happened and even trusts this murderer that turns up at his front door because the murderer's like, no, I promise I've got something to do with Dr. Jekyll. Don't worry. There's a, and there's a level of loyalty between yeah. the men. Um, that I think is really interesting. I don't know if like it, even today, like are men more, you know, like it's the boys are having a secret and like, you know, whatever stay, goes on here or stays there. I wonder if there's a different level of loyalty for men and men, women and women or men and women. Like, are there different loyalties that exist between genders? Because they really do, although that, you know, they do, a lot of people do blindly trust Dr. Jekyll. However, I think Mr. Utterson has a lot of suspicion and yes. he he wants to open letters before Dr. Jekyll disappears and he wants to question things, but he feels... But he doesn't. But he doesn't. He doesn't for a long time. Yeah. But he does, he does when they eventually go into the doctor's rooms and find Mr. Hyde. They do in the end, but it takes a long time to get there. And then he sees the letter that's addressed to him. And he's allowed to at that point because it says open it. And then he gets all the money. So he's rewarded for his loyalty to Dr. Jekyll. Right. In the end. But maybe that is a power thing, as Hannah said. Like, even if it's even if it's not between an employee and an employer, um, maybe Dr. Jekyll, he does come across as one of these people that has so much influence and power. And he's very um, wealthy and very intelligent. And maybe there's, like, an intimidation of, of him being superior to them that makes them feel that they need to be more loyal than what they would do vice versa. Well, it does seem that he has a great reputation. Like, it's not like he's somebody who's sinister. They don't suspect him at all for, and that, that Mm -mm. makes the, that makes his experimentation into Mr. Hyde even more interesting, I think, because he's somebody who maybe you wouldn't assume would be involved in, I don't know. Nefarious. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I do wonder, too, if there's like a... Good word, Anna. Thanks. <laughs> like a gentleman code? Because <laughs> they're all like of the same class, uh, right? Besides Mr. Poole. So I, uh, I do wonder if that's somehow involved. I mean, maybe. They they all... all these, I don't know. The three men, they met at university or school or something, and they're all very wealthy and lawyers and doctors. and Yeah. So, yeah. The, also, so that's like that the thing of... Code. Well, the reputation as well. You want to maintain the reputation of your peers and especially of your peers of the upper class. So you don't want bad things to get out about them that could damage that reputation. All about keeping up appearances, which is what the whole book is about. What do you think of the relationship between this book? I'm going to say it, Grace. Frankenstein. And Heart of Darkness. Oh, Heart of Darkness. Darkness. Wow, you really shocked me there. I wasn't (laughs) expecting that. Sorry. Yeah, Heart of Darkness. The aka the worst book on planet Earth, um, or even or even um, I can't. Uh, I've taught this book so many times. The boys on the island, Lord of Rain, Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Flies. I the contra. Well, this is bad. I haven't read Lord of the Flies. I've heard about oh, it. Sorry. I know everyone did it in school. I just didn't do it in school. We read like feminist literature instead. Loved my English teacher. Better for you. Yeah, so much better. <laughs> um, but uh, Heart of Darkness. Ugh, as much as I hate the whole concept of it. 
there is that that unwavering um that unwavering camaraderie between these male characters of the British elite like it's it runs so rife in that book which is why that book is so inherently racist is because (laughs) is because these white men are like we must stick together in Africa (laughs) I read it so long ago I was more thinking of the angle of in every person's character lies the potential for darkness that's what I was thinking because the guy that goes the guy that goes missing that they go hunting for yeah and it, what was and his and, name uh, I have to think her I have no idea like, no no idea well and I'm thinking of Apocalypse Now which of course is a version of the Heart of Darkness and yeah. then um, that film but then also Lord of the Flies thinking of the potential for human darkness in every person um, that's I think that was really good in this book I think it's a like it's a theme that's explored so often this this idea of of good and evil in human beings like it, you can even look at the wizard of oz True. the wicked witch of the east and the west the parallels to each other there's so many examples yep. of this exact thing in pop culture across the world um but this is just the gothic right. version of That's it good point. Really. whereas heart of darkness is the adventure version and i'm sure you could look at oh my gosh what What's that Austen novel with the, the sisters? Or is it an Austen Sense novel? and Sensibility. Done. Sense and Sensibility. Two yeah. different types of women paralleling each other. Which is better? Which is worse? Just the same as Dr. Frankenstein and his creation. Yeah. They are um, sort of reciprocals from one another. What is that called? Foils. They're foils. Foil foil characters. I couldn't think of the term for that. The foil characters. Yeah, I think it's it's it's... It is explored quite often, but I, I do, I still enjoyed it though. Like, you know, I kind of like that it's so comparable to so many different things because like, that's interesting. In what ways are they similar? Like these, like this in Heart of Darkness, very different tones, right? Very different objective yes, like plot sure. lines. So to be able to be, to compare those two novels and think about like, what are they both saying about the duality of human nature, I guess. That's really interesting to be able to put it in different, different contexts, this one story it is in the whole you know and the evil twin we always know like we know that that's a um sort of an archetypal character the evil twin two sides of of whatever two sides of the personality even back to early fairy tales you have yeah. evil twins and steps or siblings and whatever i was thinking in the episode of you i think we watched three episodes where they're like the one i watched is where they're um the the man and the woman who are married her name is love i can't remember what his name is right but they're sitting on the sofa and it's like his inner monologue while she's talking to the therapist and he's like it's um it's really not i'm not really angry at you about some silly thing going on in our marriage um it's really the fact that you're an axe murderer that i can't really talk about (laughs) (laughs) just and i just thought it was so funny because i just watched that like two days ago after having just read this book again (laughs) he's like it's really not because you're not a good cook it's because you're an axe murderer (laughs) (laughs) anyway funny i mean but but that's the only way i'm glad that you brought that up though i think it really it really shows like the relevance of this one though like we always yeah. say why do we read these books why are they relevant now well this is relevant because pop culture is obsessed with this pop culture is obsessed with this this narrative yeah now, and has been nowadays. forever i mean we have been since the 1800s i don't think it yeah ever went i mean we're anywhere. accusing random since jack the ripper yeah random celebrity <laughs> <Brody>. <laughs> <laughs> to be, being jack the ripper 
So would you read it again? I probably won't for a few years. I think oh, I know yeah. it too much now, but Absolutely. in a few years time. Because I think it brings up so much conversation that's it's very easy to have without, I mean, you don't even have to really be too academic or even care about academics to have a big conversation about it. It's really a great book. And to enjoy it. Yeah, it's, yeah, a great it's story. such a pleasurable read. And that's actually the, isn't yeah. that? Sorry, I was just going to say, isn't that the point of a classic is maybe there's all these things about it, but it's the bottom line is it's just a great story. And and I was a bit I was a bit scared reading this one, but I'm really excited to read something funny next month. I don't think we've read a funny book before, have we in this? I was Are there thinking, really funny books? <laughs> no, the one book that really made me laugh so much was um, The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker. Oh, yeah, I liked that book. Which is also a 1700s book. That book had me absolutely cracking up. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I hope Shamala is a bit like that. And, you know, for people that don't know the context of Shamala or Pamela, Pamela is what Hannah could summarize this a lot better than I could but (laughs) Pamela is one of the first books written from the female perspective and it deals a lot with actually sort of sexual assault and manipulation and class dynamics and things like that um and it's it's just very I find it very sort of wishy-washy because Pamela's not a particularly strong strong woman she's just sort of led dragged through the bushes by this guy Mr. B um so I'm interested to read Shamala to see at the same time how another male writer was interpreting the woman or, or and the, criticizing and criticizing that yeah. female character I'm interested to see to what extent he is um promoting a better female in in taking the piss out hopefully. of Pamela hopefully I don't know we'll have to find out <laughs> yeah but I'm excited to read it me too yeah me too I always love a good chat about Pamela so <laughs> <laughs> you do you do Hannah. I do so you can take the reins on the next one <laughs> okay well then, we will. Well, happy Halloween! Also, first yes, of all, happy Halloween. Have some yeah. good celebrations and happy Halloween. send me pictures of your costumes. Um, but yeah, we will talk to you in November with Shamila. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.